Welcome back to Round 12, the podcast that will always be dedicated to growth, development, and motivational mastery. I am your host, Sensei Roger B. Hamilton. Thank you for joining us again today for another episode of the Round 12 podcast series. Let's go get it. The power to be your best. You know, sometimes when you stop and reflect on who you are and where you came from and where you're trying to go, you have to look at the pieces of the puzzle to understand the whole picture. So as, so as I was looking at my pieces, I realized that I have an obligation to remember those individuals who helped me along the way. Teachers, man. Teachers. I know for a fact that everybody listening to this right now can remember their favorite teacher. You can see their face and you can remember why you liked them. That's important stuff. No matter how individual your struggle and and no matter how difficult, uh, there's always somebody somewhere in that journey who gave you a tiny piece of themselves to help you towards your own development. I can remember Mrs. Fink, my amazing patient, calm, caring, fifth-grade teacher. Her temperament and resolve may have contributed to saving me from myself. And to people like her, I say thank you. Good looking out, dear professor. Then there's my culture, martial and warrior sides, the sides that helped me become a balanced, tempered, confident, and full-grown man. Reverend Charles H. Brown, First Baptist Church pastor. Mr. Tom Volts, high school wrestling coach. Sensei Anthony Laws, Ishinru karate instructor. Guru Rick Tucci, Jeet Kune Do and Kali stick fighting instructor. Grandmaster Michael Burry, Burroughs, karate and jiu-jitsu instructor. Sensei Muhammad Ali Sharifi, Shotokan karate instructor. Grandmaster Carol Pegaron, BKG Karate Instructor, Mr. Charles King, founder and owner of King's Boxing Gym Oakland, Great Grandmaster Rick Alamany, Kempo and Eskrima Instructor, Mr. Rio Rosa, World Champion Boxing Trainer at King's Boxing Gym Oakland, Master Rich Pierman, Security Expert and Ishinru Karate Instructor, and Grandmaster Wayne Ford, affectionately known as Papa-san. Rest in peace, sir, and respect and honor to all the rest of you. Thank you. For those of you who are not martial artists, I hope you'll forgive me. 
But for those of you who are, I ask for you to join me. <laughs> On the count of three. Three times, please. One, two, three. <laughs> One, two, three. <laughs> One, two, three. Please allow me to introduce myself. My name is Roger Bush Hamilton. I want to take a few moments and I want to acknowledge my sensei, the man who presented me my black belt. I don't plan to take too much of you folks' time this morning, but I did want to take a few minutes to acknowledge him and to express my feelings. I currently live in San Francisco with my wife of 25 years, Valrena, and my two sons, Omar and Ali, both my black belts, thereby black belts under Sensei Papasan Ford. However, although I live in Cali, make no mistake, I'm a born and bred Jersey boy, and I never forget where I come from, and I still like my coffee regularly. In the year 1978 only, one happenstance meeting and training se session as a visitor to Toro Jojo I became a student and friend of Mr. Wayne Ford and his black belt team. Although I was already a hard-driving Ishinru green belt and collegiate wrestling champion, the work ethic and passion in the Papasan training environment pulled me in. As I reflect, many evenings I can remember crowds of bystanders standing outside of Toro Dojo watching our, tr our group train our hearts out. They marveled at the intensity, the drive, and the energy of our efforts. We young men operated like a well-oiled machine, together on our road to martial excellence. Many evenings we left all of our sweat, all of our strength on the floor holding nothing back. I'm here to tell you that was a glorious feeling, driving and pushing toward our goals, climbing our own particular ladder into manhood. Who knew that our manhood would be that much more pronounced and that much more accomplished that much more focused and that much more honorable because we studied, trained, and achieved success in the martial arts arena. We developed statewide and nationwide camaraderies with other dedicated martial artists. We challenged and pushed ourselves through obstruction onto the other side where victory was achieved. We practiced and learned humility because we knew that there was always someone, somewhere, who was working at least as hard as we were to be warriors and champions so we tried to work even harder. During competition, we celebrated many glorious wins, and we painfully remember the disappointing losses, but we persevered with Papasan sometimes barking, but most times speaking gently in our ear. Come on, son, you'll be fine. There he was again, making a difference. Through our training, we were introduced to ourselves, our deeper and more intricate selves, the self that was confident because we had done the work to be so. The self that was tenacious because we had held on to climb our own special mountains. The respectful and good self because we practiced courtesy and consideration daily when we bowed and addressed each other as sir and ma'am. It seems for all intents and purposes that once you're introduced to your best self, it's hard to degenerate into anything else. You may experience challenging days or nights or circumstances, but you always remember who you are. As a firm point of reference to keep you on track, you remember that you're an honored black belt, and you stand up, and you get up, and you straighten up. As an American historical figure, 
Grandmaster Wayne Papasan Ford was one of the special messengers of this doctrine. If you can look up, you can get up. You're a black belt, son. Let's go. In the world he had been given, he was always taking the responsibility of making a difference. For the record, I received my first degree black belt from Sensei Ford in June of 1981. The position of Shodan, as it's called in Japanese terminology. Since that day, it has been my passionate, determined, inspired, enthralled, enthusiastically responsibility and pleasure to prove Mr. Ford right in his decision to promote me to the esteemed position of black belt. Throughout all these years that have passed, I always felt like I needed to earn the right to wear a black belt, earn the privilege to be a black belt, then learn to, work, to walk the road less traveled where the special few had come before me. To recognize and appreciate the merits of passion and purpose and integrity and honor and distinction. I remember Mr. Ford saying to me as I objectionably accepted the dark colored cloth, I'm not doing you a favor, son. I'm asking you to lead. I'm asking you for more, making a difference. I am honored to stand here before you today as a humble and respectful representative of the original Torah Dojo Martial Arts School to say goodbye to our friend, our sensei, our papasan, Mr. Wayne Ford. As I've shared with you already, I live in California. I needed to make some quick, fast, in a hurry plans to get here today, and I'm glad I made it to pay my respects to a great man. Before I came, I composed an email and circulated it to 1,500 recipients from my database to honor Papasan. Some of you may have seen it. In that email, I asked for this. If you would be so inclined as to take a moment to think a good thought about Papasan, offer a moment of silence, say a prayer, or do something nice for someone in his honor, help someone across the street, call someone you've been meaning to call, do something for someone you've been meaning to do. Encourage someone who needs a lift. Smile purposely and intentionally and offer some good cheer. We as human beings have so much more in common than we do apart. We as human beings can build so many more bridges than the walls we surround ourselves with. I wish to take this day forward to remember Mr. Ford as a great man who inspires me to be great as well. I wish to take this painful moment of loss and celebrate his living more than mourn his passing. I wish to find the good in my life from the memory of his life. And I hope even one of you can do the same. Celebrate the good that still remains in the world in spite of what we are told and shown on a daily basis. Then if you can, pull somebody along with you. Surely you will find success when you help someone else do the same. Giving is living. And as the noted philosopher Ralph Waldo Emerson was said about success, to laugh often and much, to win the respect of intelligent people and the affection of children, to earn the appreciation of honest critics and endure the betrayal of false friends, to appreciate beauty, to find the best in others, to leave the world a bit better, whether by a healthy child, a garden patch, or a redeemed social condition. To know that even one life has breathed easier because you have lived, this is to have succeeded. After I wrote these words and sent my email, 
I received an invitation from the young daughter of one of my competitive martial arts associates to join a group on the web designed with the intention of having a good day and helping others do the same. On the face of the invitation for that special page designed by a little girl was the following statement. Stay with me now. Where you are today is no accident. God is using the situation you're in to shape you and prepare you for the place he wants to bring you tomorrow. Trust him and his plan, even if you don't understand. But y'all don't hear me though. Where you are today is no accident. God is using the situation you're in to shape you and prepare you for the place he wants to bring you tomorrow. Trust him with this plan, even if you don't understand. Making a difference. I replied to the little girl's invite and I joined her page. But let me tell you, I did something else. I took a long and introspective look at myself and I couldn't help but think maybe there's something quite appropriate in the statement and gesture presented here. Maybe there is more to do. As I reflected, I thought to myself that perhaps Papa San had an epiphany like this once himself. Maybe that's what compelled him to train and teach for 60 years continually. Please take a moment and think about that. 60 years. In 1955, martial arts was still very new in this country and practiced by only a chosen few. It had come by way of the American soldier following his respective tour of duty in faraway places like Japan and Korea and Thailand. It is with great pride and respect for history that I remind you that Papa San was an American pioneer, an African-American pioneer, a man who helped shape an activity that is now practiced nationally by the millions, by men and women and children and all manner of people who seek to improve themselves and their life. And additionally, for those who seek to remain vigilant and determined when it comes to their individual safety and personal security, by the dedicated practice of self-defense. Grandmaster Wayne Papasan Ford researched and discovered the best in himself so he could share it with us. He worked toward unity, discipline, focus, clarity, intelligence, strategy, strategy, and positive purpose. I read once in a book called Maximum Performance that the manner in which we perform even the most mundane acts is a statement of who we are. We resemble our performance and our performance resembles us. Papasan resembled his performance. And I hope that through my efforts as a husband, as a father, as a neighbor, as a man, and as a black belt, I resemble him. And if all of us continue to push forward in our chosen endeavors, whatever they may be, maybe we can make a difference as well. With unrelenting crescendo, the symphony of a life replete with its melodic progressions hastens to its finale, and a friendship which is ours to share with its largos and allegros moves everlasting onward in sweet memories. Blessings to you all.
It's been a long day without you, my friend. And I'll tell you all about it when I see you again. We've come a long way from where we began. Oh, I'll tell you all about it when I see you again. When I see you again. Damn, who knew? All the planes we flew, good things we've been through. Then I'll be standing right here talking to you about another path. Finding the power to be your best. My feeling is that Superman is every man and kryptonite is just a rock. When I consider fitness, nutrition, and positive attitude, I realize that these are the foundational beams holding up my personal headquarters. Without them, my building falls and all of my structure crumbles. After thinking about it, and doing some calculations, I realized that I have been a practicing athlete or physical fitness enthusiast and practicing martial arts for over 50 years, executing over 1 million kicks as an example. Not intermittently, not off and on, and most of the time, not remotely casual about it all. Intensity and drive and mind-boggling two to three hour workouts and double sessions and many times it was just because it's who I am. Does this mean that I am concluding that all of us need to commit our life to a regimen that pushes us to the ends of our abilities to feel satisfied? No, I surely am not. However, it seems to me that after all the research and all the conclusive data it is better to be in good physical health and fitness than it is not. Additionally, approaching life circumstances with a positive attitude is generally accepted as a good thing to do as well. So here's an interesting question. Does having a positive attitude make your workouts go better? Or does working out make it more likely you'll have a great attitude? Here's an interesting thought from fitness writer Leanne Beatty about optimism. The definition of optimism. Optimism comes from the Latin word optimus, meaning best, which describes how an optimistic person is always looking for the best in any situation and expecting good things to happen. Optimism is the tendency to believe, expect, or hope that things will turn out well even if something bad happens, like the loss of a job. An optimist sees the silver lining. The emerging field of positive psychology studies the positive impact that optimism has on mental health. Other research shows that optimism may be good for my physical health too. Optimists are sick less and live longer than pessimists. Apparently, a positive outlook on life strengthens the immune system and the body's defenses against illness. Cardiovascular system, optimists have fewer heart attacks and the body's ability to handle stress. Happiness through positive self-talk. Being an optimist or a pessimist boils down to the way you talk to yourself. 
optimists believe that their own actions result in positive things happening. They believe that more than they are responsible for their own happiness. And they can expect more good things to happen in the future. Optimists don't blame themselves when bad things happen. They view bad events as results of something outside of themselves. I didn't blame myself for losing my job, but saw it as a business decision that had nothing to do with me personally, is the way you have to think. Pessimists think the opposite way, however. They blame themselves for the bad things that happen in their lives and think that one mistake means more will inevitably come. Pessimists see positive events as flukes that are outside of their control, a lucky streak that probably won't happen again. Because of their thought processes, optimists have much brighter futures. A bad circumstance or event is taken in stride, viewed as a temporary setback, not as a permanent way of life. Even if something bad happens today, a positive thinker believes that good things will surely come again in the future. Optimists tend to share several other positive characteristics that increase overall happiness and promote health while reducing depression and chronic stress. They think about it, reflect on, and emphasize the good things in life. They are grateful and thankful for all their blessings. They don't complain when something bad happens. They feel that nothing can hold them back from achieving success and reaching their goals. They believe in abundance. They are confident that the world offers plenty of opportunities for everyone to succeed. Change your thinking, change your life. Luckily, you can change your thinking patterns over time. Even a pessimist can become an optimist with enough practice. All you need to do is to reframe how you define events. Instead of dwelling on the bad experience, analyze it to figure out what good can come of it. Even if a project at work is deemed a failure, think about what you learned during the process. What strength did you discover within yourself? And when can you use those talents again? Instead of blaming yourself for the failure, think about the outside influences that may have affected your project. Maybe you were delayed by outside vendors so you couldn't meet a deadline. Or management decided to go in another direction, making your project redundant. Virtually any failure can be turned into a learning experience which decreases your potential for future success. Optimism is a skill of emotional intelligence, which translates to a better career and greater success in life. Life is too short to be miserable, so start turning your thinking around. Positive thoughts, an optimistic outlook, and overall happiness can advance your prospects for work, relationships, and other life experiences. Notice how positive self-talk comes up again as a significant contributing factor to making you have a better outlook on your life. Here are a few words from an article by Tom Sheave on endorphins to round out the exercise optimism connection. Happiness, exercise, and endorphins. Just as anybody and excuse me, just as antibody production is connected to both exercise and happiness, so too is endorphin production. Endorphins are chemicals that are able to cross through the gaps between neurons in order to pass along the message from one to the next. 
There are many different kinds and many remains to be learned about their different purposes and functions. One thing is known for certain about endorphins. Their ability to make you feel oh so good is real. When your body is subjected to certain stimuli like sex, food, or pain, your hypothalamus calls for endorphins, and the cells throughout your body that contain them heed the call. When endorphins lock into special receptor cells called opioid receptors, because opiates also fit them, they block the transmission of pain signals and also produce a euphoric feeling, exactly like opiates. Endorphins acts like both a painkiller and as the payoff for your body's reward system. When you hurt yourself or eat a hot chili pepper, you may get a big dose of endorphins to ease the pain. You may also get an endorphin blast from taking, uh, excuse me, talking to a stranger, eating a satisfying meal, or being exposed to ultraviolet light. Everyone has different amounts of endorphins, and what may trigger an endorphin for one person could very well produce a dud for someone else. The payoff in the form of your body's tapping into its own stash of opiates is to let you know you've had enough and convince you to do it again and sometime soon. Some of us may remember the term runner's high being associated with the endorphin production. So after examining the topic, there does seem to be a correlation between exercise and attitude and vice versa. Realizing this, in preparation for my son Ali's black belt test, we established the double session protocol for the entire month leading up to his challenging event, just like his brother Omar before him. Ali had come to expect that it was going to be an uphill climb to secure that elusive dark colored cloth. So each morning, between 4.30 and 5 a.m., my dear son and I got up and did our morning run, him before school, and me before my commute to work. Then we made an agreement that we would both add an additional midday afternoon workout before we met at the dojo for our formal class. I was 57 and he was 16 years old. Like his brother, Ali pushed through obstruction and climbed his personal mountain of discovery to place his foot on the first rung of the ladder to his own manhood. He too had a physical and emotional story to tell regarding the demands of the black belt test, but he came through with shining colors as well. During his challenge, one aspect of the test required that he execute 200 push-ups in one session and move on immediately to 200 sit-ups. This requirement is requested early in the test. I can remember how this young man hit his emotional wall early and found himself struggling. It was apparent that this struggle was taking its toll on him. As if scripted, his brother, who had endured this test himself, came over to quietly connect with him and whisper encouragement into his ear. From after you could see that this black belt candidate was emotionally in trouble, you could see it. There was a figurative dark cloud hanging over Ali's head. I was challenged with not interceding and letting these two martial artists communicate and work their way forward because I was their instructor at the time. An amazing thing occurred, though. Ali completed his physical challenge, and it seemed that a new inspiration overtook him. A proverbial second wind. Physically, emotionally, and functionally, 
he seemed ready to finish what he started, and he did. This will always resonate with me as an important indication of strength, character, and unity. They were connected by something so large, so brilliant, and so special that it almost looked like there was a spotlight shining down on them that grew brighter and brighter as the five-hour-plus test moved forward. In my final reflection, may I say that helping those two brothers connect as toddlers, youths, teenagers, and men was not only my goal, but my experiment. In the end, we're all better for this experience. Look, this story, this text, and this concept is not just about becoming a black belt. It's about finding your best self, doing your best work, and leaving your signature on the world at large. Writer Shelley Hallmark and I, in her writings about personal power, are on the same page when it comes to personal identity and cause. Great author Christian D. Larson also has a cool quote that's worth keeping in mind. Believe in yourself and all that you are. Know that there is something inside of you that is greater than any obstacle. Finding your power. Taking back control of your life. I believe that half of our issues with feeling like we've lost control of our own direction in life lies within taking charge of the course we are on. It's a disabling feeling, and it can cause you to lose hope and faith. And of course, the more you feel that you've lost control, the more it spirals. It's a nasty cycle. I found that only, the only way to overcome this is to meet it head on and take back my power. Change that frequency in your brain that is inhibiting you from happiness. It's as simple as flipping a light switch on, and it's the necessary first step. I've always been a huge fan of the to-do list, because it helps me stay focused and goal-oriented. Whether it's a situation or relationship issue, these are two usually interconnected things. Anyway, I believe the to-do list will be very helpful. It's likely that if you're in a moment of feeling like you've lost your power, and you're already aware of what this area of life is lacking. So based on that fact, you're already aware of these, and these are the steps that I use to apply on my list. My example is based on my goals in life and how I'm going to create a process to achieving them. And so, write down the goals you want to achieve. Figure out the steps needed to achieve them, similar to a flowchart. Put them in a realistic order suitable to your desires. Take the first steps to enact these goals and put them in action. Maintain focus and determination. Stay strong. It will take a lot of hard work to achieve your goals, but anything worth having is worth working for. Don't doubt yourself. Do whatever you need to do to keep yourself motivated and determined. If it need be, ask a friend to be an ally to help keep you and stay focused. I'd suggest to start with the goal that you think is the most attainable at first. Don't go crazy reaching. Because when you achieve it, the feeling of accomplishment and pride will empower you to move farther ahead and give you the extra boost needed to maintain your focus and desires. Stay motivated. It's not surprising to me that I'm such a huge fan of the to-do list, especially since I love writing and also use it as a tool for my self-therapy in every other area of my life. In addition to that, 
writing things down and having that visual cue is a prominent point of the law of attraction. I came across one of my journals a while ago and had some goals written in there that I had long ago achieved and had forgotten about. It was a great reminder of how far I've come and how strong my own personal power is to complete what I set out to achieve. Another helpful tool is to start a vision board and have pictures where you want them to, to be so that you can see them every day. Alternatively, you could create a draw-up, a map, a road map exactly showing where you want to go with points along the way that mark your mileposts. And, and whatever you do, stay on track to where you're trying to get to. And whatever happens, whatever happens, never quit. Certainly reflect when you need it. Certainly rest when you need it. Certainly regroup when you need it. But don't you dare quit. Let's keep this thing going so you can get where you're supposed to get to. The worst days of your future be like the best days of your past. And may you continue to answer life's bell every time. Until next we meet, time.